Well, good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm your preacher for today. Um, I want to, uh, uh, as we begin uh, this morning, I want to just share with you, uh, first of all, uh, I have two goals. Well, I have one goal, but two things, one of two things are going to happen, I think, I pray today. Number one, that you'll leave here uh, pumped and excited about what God is going to do in your life. Or number two, you'll leave here ticked off, angry, and afraid because God's going to do something exciting in your life. We began this uh, lit series with this question, what is God inviting me to lay down in order to be made whole? And I'm going to, I'm going to share a very personal story uh, a little bit later in the message about, about that. But I want to bring that question to the forefront of our thinking as we have... Uh, uh, engaged our minds now in this time of worship. What is God inviting me to lay down in order to be made whole? Now, we're going to be talking about Moses today. And uh, the un- unfortunately, most folks, when they uh, hear the name Moses, they, they think probably of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. And uh, I don't know if any of you do or not. You probably think of, uh, of, of, of the Prince of Egypt and uh, Steven Spielberg. That might be what you think of when you think of Moses. Um, I couldn't use any of those up on our screen today because they're both copyrighted. So, uh, but what's not copyrighted is uh, this photograph because I'm the one that took it. Uh, this photograph is a photograph of Michelangelo's Moses. So the guy sitting down in the middle is Moses, uh, carved by a guy named Michelangelo. This is uh, the tomb of uh, Justice the Second. Justin II, who was uh, the Pope during the time Martin Luther was launching the Protestant Reformation. And uh, uh, he had tremendous plans and ideas about his tomb. He wanted his tomb to be the biggest tomb in the Vatican. He, incidentally, is the one that uh, funded and built uh, St. Peter's, the, the current St. Peter's Vatican that's in Rome today. He's the one that built that. And he wanted his tomb in that uh, church to be the biggest of any other pope. And uh, unfortunately, along the way, um, he also decided he wanted the, chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel painted, so he told Michelangelo, stop working on my tomb, start painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Um, however, by the time he got done and got back to the tomb, he died, and a couple of things happened. Number one, he was not buried in the Vatican. He's buried at a church down the street, around the corner, and down another couple of blocks. And this church is St. Peter's uh, in Chains in Rome. And uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is it is nowhere near the size that he wanted it to be. Uh, his original plan was redone, and, and, and it's still fairly impressive, but it's nowhere near what it was. And um, this central uh, figure of Moses is, uh, outside of anything that's copyrighted, is perhaps the best known. Now, if you can see on the screen pretty well, you might be able to see that Moses has two horns, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that before. And this actually comes from a, uh, a problem, a mistranslation. Uh, the Bible that they had at the time was the Latin Vulgate. It was translated by a guy named Jerome. And when he translated the Hebrew, the Old Testament, into Latin, the language of the everyday person at, at the time, uh, the, the Hebrew word there that uh, talks about Moses radiating beams of light could also be translated, grew horns. Now, I don't know what was up with Jerome. I don't know if he had some Colorado cannabis that day, but uh, 
one of the things, huh, I think I'll translate it grew horns. And that's what he did. And so in the Latin Vulgate, it says Moses grew horns. And unfortunately, that, did I say Colorado cannabis from the platform? Did I just say that earlier? I told you this would happen eventually. Um, this, has tr- this has affected the reading of Scripture for, for generations. And in the 16th century, uh, when this is being carved, uh, Michelangelo is looking at the text, and Moses grew horns. Okay, so he put horns on Moses. Uh, but that's not really what happened. Moses radiated beams of light. Uh, but uh, the, the story comes from uh, Exodus chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to that. Uh, uh, it's um, uh, real easy. The first book in the Bible is Genesis. The second book in the Bible is Exodus. So it's the second book of the Bible. We even made it easier still. It's chapter 3. So you just got to go a page or two uh, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1, as we are introduced uh, to this portion uh, of Moses, the story of Moses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now you need to pay attention here real quick. Uh, uh, sometimes the Bible calls these mountains Mount Horeb, this mountain Mount Horeb. Other times it calls this mountain Mount Sinai. And uh, scholars argue about whether this is two peaks on the same mountain. I don't know. I'm not a mountain guy. That would be you guys that are mountain people. And, uh, but nevertheless, so sometimes the Old Testament calls it Mount Horeb. Sometimes the Old Testament calls it Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain, okay? This is the same exact mountain. As you know, Mount Sinai is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. Mount Horeb, uh, same mountain is where God calls Moses, and and you'll hear that in the text in just a minute. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You didn't think I'd get all those, did you? And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's an allusion to the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This ends the reading of God's holy and his perfect word. May he add his blessings and our understanding to it. Amen. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at this text from various perspectives. But it's important for you to hear at the beginning that this story, this text, is this call of Moses. It's about the call. It's about God, not about Moses. All right? Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at it from the perspective of Moses. As a matter of fact, if you're in a small group, and I pray that you are, uh, particularly the number of small groups that are following the sermon, you know, in the questions that have been prepared for you as you go into your small groups this week, um, you're going to be looking at uh, 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 the issues of Moses, what he was dealing with, our issues, you know, our gifts, our abilities, our lack of abilities. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's perfectly fine. It's not, going, it's, it's not anti-biblical or anything, but it's important for you to realize that it's here not to encourage us to be Moseses, but it's here to teach us about who God is. And it's here to teach us about what it means when God calls us, when God calls me, and when God calls you. You know, I think that the first thing that is powerful about this is that um, God interrupts our lives. God interrupted the life of Moses. Now, if you don't know the story of Moses, and you're like, I don't know if I want to sit down and read the story of Moses. It's in, you know, it begins uh, uh, at the beginning part of Exodus and goes through, well, all of Exodus, actually. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you, you go rent you know, Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt. I think Val Kilmer played Moses in the Prince of Egypt. I'm not sure. And you'll get the backstory. So I, I don't want to really go into the backstory, but I want, you, I want you to know this about the backstory. From the time Moses was born... Till the time he kills an Egyptian taskmaster, uh, because that Egyptian taskmaster is beating a Hebrew slave to death, is 40 years. And then from the time that Moses flees Egypt at the age of 40, until the time God calls him on Mount Horeb, is another 40 years. And Moses is about to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt, and uh, so now he's 80. So anybody in here who's 80... And you think your life's over? Look at Moses. Moses, at the age of 80, presents himself before the Pharaoh, leads, various situations go on, leads his people out of the land of bondage through the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land and dies at 120. It's a quick rule. If you ain't 120 yet, God's not done with you yet. <laughs> That's just an important thing to remember. 
But I think if you're like me, you probably have had moments in your life when you have looked around and you have said, is this it? Is this, is this my life? Is this the job that I'm going to have? Is this the person I'm going to be married to? I hope you rediscover your love. Is this the house I'm always going to live in? Is this the place that I'm always going to be? Is this the job that I'm always going to do? Is this my life? Now, I know that a lot of times in our life, um, you know, we want to be uh, connected uh, with not only our hopes and dreams, but where God is calling us, and we pray fervently that, that God's call for our life is also our hopes and dreams. But that's not always the case. And the interesting thing about all of this is, is that you're probably sitting there and you're saying, okay, I know where he's going with this. I know what he's going to do. He's going to call. Uh, he's going to talk about Moses' call and, and how Moses went out and did what he needed to do. And, and, and I'm going to be looking and perceiving what's filling my emptiness in life. I'm trying to figure out what's going to bring me joy, what's going to bring me fulfillment. And so he's going to lead me in some steps that are going to help me discern and get ready for that. And the answer is yes. I'm going to do that for you. Are you ready? I'm going to do it in one slide. It's going to be really easy. You'll never really be ready. That's the important thing to remember. You'll never, ever really be ready. You know, you've probably heard the old adage that... Um, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You know, I, I know that a lot of people listen to our podcasts and the sermons on, online on our, on our website at southsuburban.com, and that's great. But I, I hope the person I'm about to share with you isn't listening today. I remember in a previous church, there was a woman who was the meanest, most hateful, ornery person I have ever met. I mean, she walked around with a constant scowl on her face. She was rude. She was objectionable. And she came to me and some of the other staff one day, and she said, the Lord is calling me to the hospitality committee. <laughs> and no, 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 he hasn't. But as is the case in the church, whatever you guys want to do, we're going to probably try to figure out a way that you can do it. And so I remember the day came when she was to take her first day welcoming people at the door, and I have never seen her act so hateful and mean to people coming into God's house in my entire life. Good morning, welcome. Phil Bolton, Adam. How are you? You know she didn't care how you were. And I'm sitting there in the office, which has a glass wall, and I can see this, and one after one, people are being jarred by her, taking their bulletin and walking on around and finding their seat. And the Lord spoke to me. I told Pastor Michael I was channeling my assembly of God. The Lord spoke to me, and he said, you need to write that woman a letter. And I oh, I got a letter to write that woman. You better believe it. <laughs> and so this is what I wrote. I wrote to her, dear and I put her name in. She'll probably, if she's listening, she'll figure out who I'm talking to just by hearing this, and she'll know the truth, and she'll probably, well, anyway. Um, I said, dear so-and-so, I have never seen anyone greet like you before in my life. That was true. That was absolutely true. Thank you for answering God's call 
Love, Pastor Ike. And I mailed that letter to her. You see, I think God does these things just to kind of mess with us sometimes. Because this is no lie. In the weeks, months, and years that followed, that woman became the best greeter I have ever seen. It was a little way that God says to me, I'll take care of qualifying those whom I call to a ministry. The other thing it taught me is is that the folks that I would have never thought could have done that particular worker job are the ones God calls to do that worker job. Now, when I was in seminary, uh, preachers would come and preach in our chapel all the time, and you know, and and I, I bet every single preacher thinks that they're the first of all. Every preacher thinks they're the best preacher. You got four on staff, and all of us say he's good, but I'm a little better. That's how we all are, and everybody just patted Pastor Joe when when I said that. You see, I have a bird's eye view up here. And every pastor thinks this is the first time that they've thought this line up. They say, uh, brothers and sisters, the young men and women getting ready to go out and preach. Young uh, brothers and sisters, just remember this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I have called the foolish so that my wisdom may be made known. I have called the weak so that my strength may be made known. Now, the, the funny thing is, is every single one of them thought they were the first ones that said it. And I think we heard 50 sermons on that text. But it's true. It's true. I don't know why it is. It may be a spiritual law that the people that you would last expect to do a particular job are the ones God calls to do that job. And if you're in that position and you would say to yourself, I don't have the ability, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the strength, congratulations, you're exactly what God is wanting. Because in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of my weakness, that's when God's strength is made known. And you never can be really ready for this. You never can be ready. Now, what's really powerful about this story, too, is is that this interruption becomes holy. This interruption becomes holy because what Moses does is when he sees the burning bush and perceives that it is God, he falls on his face. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this word holy. When we think about the word holy and we think of something magical or above everybody else, the word holy literally means, it can mean perfect or complete or whole, but it's, it really means set apart, just set apart. This table is holy. It's set apart for a particular purpose. If we were to have a church supper in there and, you know, we had ham and, and, and all gratin potatoes and green beans boiled and bacon grease, <laughs> just a little hint there if we ever have a church supper. You wouldn't bring your plate back in here and sit it on that table, would you? No, that table is set up. You wouldn't take the leftover bread that is there and slather some peanut butter and jelly on it because the bread is holy. It's set apart. And you, as the people of God, as people who have received Christ into your life, been obedient unto baptism, living your life in the light of Jesus' teachings, you are a holy people because you've been set apart. You've been set apart for a purpose. Not only does the interruption become holy, but the place becomes holy too. The place becomes holy. I want to share with you a personal story. <clears throat> when I was in, well, all the way back to elementary school, 
we had a little dear sweet old lady, about five foot two, in Snow Hill Christian Church. Her name was Miss Elsie Dryden. She's gone on to be with the Lord because somebody needed to run heaven, and she was exactly the person to do it. <laughs> At least she thought she was. Miss Elsie was a wonderful woman. As a matter of fact, in that little church I grew up in, the elders were in charge of everything. You know why the elders were in charge of everything? Because Miss Elsie said the elders were in charge of everything. Unless the elders did something Miss Elsie didn't agree with, then the elders weren't in charge anymore. Miss Elsie would always come up to me, and she, you know, she taught the, the adult Bible class, and she was, a, she was a wonderful woman, but she said to me, you're going to grow up to be a preacher someday. What? Uh-uh. You're going to grow up to be a preacher someday. And I'd ask my mom, why is that woman saying such crazy things? Shh. Don't let anybody hear you call her crazy. <laughs> now, I had my life planned out. From the time that I was a young man, I was going to apply to the United States Naval Academy. I was going to make their football team. And I was going to graduate from high school, go to USNA be a star football player, be voted an All-American, and well, I didn't really have anything planned after that, but I had up to that planned. <laughs> and I worked for that. I worked for that. Athlete, football player, powerlifter, ranked seventh in the state in powerlifting, uh, an all-county football player in the weight room. Man, I'm going to tell you what, this looked good. <laughs> I look good. It was sweet. And, and the United States Naval Academy says, well, that may be your opinion, but you need to prove it. Because, see, even though I was six foot two, six foot three back then, I weighed 260 pounds. That's too heavy for your height. So I had to go prove that I wasn't out of shape. And so I had to take a trip to Dover Air Force Base where <clears throat> I went through a battery of physical tests. They said, yes, you're fine. Then the uh, folks at the, uh, at the Dover Air Force Base sent the re reports to the Department of Defense Medical Examination Review Board in Colorado Springs, Colorado. From there, the physicians that reviewed the report would then send their report to the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And my waiver was one day late. I'd gotten the congressional nomination. I was in great physical shape. I had made the football team. I already tried out and made the football team. SATs were excellent. Not, not stellar, but good enough. <laughs> and I got the little sheet of paper, and it said I had been rejected. And you flipped it over, and you had a list of reasons, and it said height-weight ratio. I called the lieutenant at the United States Naval Academy. I said, I believe there's been a mistake. He said, no, there's not been a mistake. Your waiver was one day late. I said, it wasn't my fault. He says, it's always your fault. That's military, right? They, they gave me some other options that I could have done. That's another story. I'll share that some other day. <clears throat> but I was devastated. And I got into my 1972 Dodge Dart with a 1969 Plymouth Valiant 190 cubic inch engine in it. <laughs> that translates rubber band. You wind it up, and it makes the car go. <laughs> and my holy place, my, my sacred place, my place to be with God was at the beach. And so I began to drive out of Snow Hill, Maryland, <clears throat> along Route 113, which got to Ocean City, Maryland. And there I was going to just spend some time decompressing, real, realizing that my life's dreams had been shattered, crushed. And I got about midway down Route 113, just next to the Warwick Tech Vocational Center, where my friends from high school went to you know, learn welding and carpentry and electricians and all that stuff. 
and suddenly the sun got so bright I couldn't see. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and in the midst of my weeping and my tears, I heard Miss Elsie's voice in the back of my mind, someday you're going to be a preacher. And at that moment, in that place, I accepted the call to serve Christ in his church. I turned around, went back to Snow Hill, Maryland, went back into the house. Mom and dad nervously sitting there waiting. I've decided I'm going to be a preacher. <laughs> and my dad said, no, you're not. <laughs> How are you going to feed a family on a preacher's salary? My mother weeping. I found out later it was tears of joy. Dad left the house, and I went on and prepared to be a preacher, and here I am today. Now listen, I haven't always been in the right church. Let me rephrase that. I haven't always been in the right congregation, but I've always been in the church. I have been in moments in my life where I have said, man, can I do something else with my life? But the sun set, got a good night's rest, I woke up the next day and I realized I'm right where I belong. And today, to this, on this day, even today, on these days, if I am home and I'm visiting my mother and we're driving to Ocean City to take her to the beach because she sees it only when we come home to visit her, and I go past the Warwick Tech Vocational Center on Route 113, I bow my head because it was that spot out in front of that vocational center that I accepted the call of ministry. You see, that little wide spot in the road is holy to me. God talks to Moses and he says to Moses, you know, I'm calling you to do this thing. And Moses he goes through a bunch of excuses of why he can't do it. The, we only read the first one. The first one was, well, who am I supposed to say that has sent me? And, and God's answer to that, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but Moses gives God a bunch of other reasons why he can't do it. And just suffice it to say, every single reason that Moses offered, God had an answer for. So if, if you're saying... I can't do that because that's a really bad idea. Because God will answer every because. But this particular one is a good one because Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, you tell them that Yahweh sent you. Now, Yahweh is an interesting word. It's, it's a word that we don't really use in our everyday language. It, it's a word that uh, you might not even be familiar with. You, you may be more familiar with the word Jehovah. That's the old uh, translation of uh, the Hebrew Yahweh. Or we, we don't even really know how to say it because ancient Hebrew doesn't have vowel markings. The only pe people who were allowed to say it was the high priest, and he could only say it once a year. So we're not really even sure that Yahweh is the correct pronunciation, but it's close enough. Yahweh, Jehovah, we're not here to split hairs over what the name is because what's important is, is not what the name is as it's pronounced in Hebrew, but what it means because what the word really means is I am who I am. Now, it could be translated, I do what I do. 
Hebrew's weird like that. Hebrew's kind of a funky language. It, it's, you know, Greek is very specific. Hebrew goes the other end of the spectrum, not so much. Just the same thing with the radiant, radiant beams of light and the horns. So you can see how troublesome Hebrew can be sometimes. It's really a verb. It's the to-be verb. If there is any correlation, it's the to-be verb in, in Hebrew. It probably really means this. God says, I am who I was. I am who I am. And I am who I will always be. That's probably the best way to translate it. That's not weird to you because you know that verse. God is the same yesterday. Come on, say it with me. Today and tomorrow. That's what God is saying. And the interesting thing about this is, is, is that this name is, is really powerful because, you see, the way the Hebrews looked at things is, is that the names of deities uh, described their attributes or described over what they were a deity. So, so for example, there'd be the god of the river or the god of the mountain or the, the god of the plains or the god of the sea or, or the war god or the angry god or the gracious god or the demanding god. Now, I don't make a big deal about this, but this really irritates me in the English language because, you know, we don't walk around and use the to-be verb to refer to God. When we pray to God, we say things like almighty God, gracious God, loving God, forgiving God. And, and although there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm not trying to be mean, those are incredibly limiting of what God is and who God is. and what, I'm sorry, what God does and who God is. Incredibly limiting. Now, am I going to, I hope you don't go away here. Oh, I can't say Almighty God anymore. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to convey to you that when God tells Moses his name, he's basically saying this, I know what you're doing when you ask me my name. This is a Hebrew custom. That, that's how you got a power over people, or it's how you connect it with people, and, and it, but, but it limits God, and, and, and God is saying to Moses, you're not going to limit me. I'm not just the God of the mountain. I'm not just the God of the seas. I'm not just a forgiving God. I'm not just a, a, a God who, who uh, uh, does certain things but can't do other things. I'm a holy God. I'm a God that has been set apart I'm a God that is not knowable, and yet I am also a God that is knowable. This is a really powerful, powerful thing that God is doing. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders, and they're really, they're really ticked off with him. And Jesus is trying to describe who he is to the Jewish leaders. And are you ready for this? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John 8, verse 58, if you want to go and look it up. What Jesus is saying is, is that I am God. And here's the thing. God is calling you. God is calling you for his glory. And if you're in a place in your life where you're saying, I can't do that, I don't have the gifts, you need to buckle up because that's confirmation enough that God is calling you. Jesus is calling you to do what, if you do it on your own, is impossible. But with him is possible. Now, I started the service, the sermon with you this morning, and I said, asked you the question we've been asking you all through Lent. What is God inviting you to lay down so that you can be made whole? 
You know, here's the thing. Our plans, when we lay them down, they always come back, don't they? You heard it in the tone of my voice and in, in, in the caring of my demeanor and my, my presence when I told you about my dream being shattered. After the first service, somebody came to me and told me a very similar story of when her dreams were shattered. You can't ever really get away from them. But every once in a while, God reminds me, you got to lay it down so I can make you whole. And let me tell you what. There's nothing else that I can do in life but preach the gospel. Nothing else will give me purpose. Nothing else will give me meaning. Why? Because I'm in the Lord's will. And that's what I pray for you today. What is the Lord's will for you today? And what do you need to lay down so his will can be made known into your life?